Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I critique and argue over horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never quite learn anything, maybe we never enlighten you, but hopefully you have a good time listening. So today we are continuing our not-so-imaginary friends theme with the 2020 film Come Play. Uh, this was written and directed by Jacob Chase and based on his short film Larry, which I do recommend checking out on YouTube if you get a chance. It's actually quite creepy with a really great image towards the end, so go check it out. I believe it's on YouTube, I'm sure. And it's essentially about a kid named Oliver, played by, I'm going to get this wrong, Ozzy Robertson. And he's an autistic kid who begins uh, kind of, I don't know, communicating with something called Larry <laughs> uh, through his iPad. And long story short, Larry wants to make Oliver his friend forever, <laughs> uh, which you can interpret that as however you want. But uh, but <laughs> it's... <laughs> But uh, but basically, so yeah, so that's the story. Um, so before we get into spoilers with that, we have our usual spoiler-free content. Uh, so we'll let you know when we're getting into spoilers with this. But as usual, we have our releases for the week. These will all be out by the time listening to this. First up is a film called Bad Candy, and this will be out on VOD. This is a horror anthology, which actually has a small role from Zach Galligan, who's in Gremlins. Oh, nice. <laughs> It's, it's, I, I refer to it as a mixed bag of more treats than tricks, you know? It's, it's your kind of typical horror anthology in that sense, where it's, it, first of all, it's set during October, and that's the best thing about the film is that it has a great, uh, Halloween vibe to it. It's very atmospheric, and it's got a lot of great visuals in that regard. So if you're looking to get into like a spooky Halloween mood, uh, Bad Candy is a really great way to do it. But, you know, the stories themselves are a mixed bag. There, there's some really good ones that I enjoyed quite a bit, including one that I think is called, like, The Run of the Jack-O-Lanterns or something, but it's extremely gory with some really cool creature effects. Awesome. Uh, but then there's others that are just kind of like, I don't really know what that was, you know, <laughs> or, or that just didn't quite work for me. Uh, but overall, it's, a f it's just a fun Halloween movie. Uh, another, I kind of referred to it also as, like, the red-headed cousin stepchild <laughs> of trick-or-treat you know where where you can tell there's a lot of similarities or inspiration from trick-or-treat uh and this is like a lesser version of that but still fun uh but anyway so that's out on vod another one is prisoners of the ghost land which is also out on vod and this stars nick cage as a guy named hero <laughs> who is sent on a mission to retrieve this girl from some like magical Wizard of Oz type fuckery <laughs> land, wasteland, right? Uh, it's it's from the director of Suicide Club. It's very visually interesting. It's got 
just mind-blowing visuals like it's visually wonderful right uh-huh. and and it's got a performance from nick cage which he himself called this potentially the wildest film he's ever made and this <laughs> is the wildest film well he's made quite a bit right but yeah. he i i consider that statement half right like the okay. the this you know for nick cage's performance it's absolutely insane. You know, there's a scene in this film where he screams the word testicles at the top of his lungs. <laughs> and it's like pure, like everything you think Nick Cage is. It's like pure Nick Cage. Yeah. Uh, this performance. But, and, and it's, and it is a really bizarre movie. I mean, like I said, there's kind of like a lot of steampunk Wizard of Oz type references in this. It's got all kinds of things like ghost samurai and uh, zombies and okay this sounds fucking amazing it does the the letdown (laughs) the letdown of it is that it it takes until the third act for the film to really become that like over the top action film that you kind of want it to be the entire time Uh. Uh, so it's like very kind of slow going and not you know it doesn't it just had, to me it had trouble pulling me in as much as I think it meant to. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it, it's just not quite effective in some areas throughout. But if you're a Nick Cage fan or you just want some really crazy visuals and and just moments, uh Prisoners of the Ghostland is at least is at least worth a watch, you know, kind of make of it what you will for yourself. And then lastly is a film called Night Books and this is on Netflix. And it, this one's about a boy who is kidnapped by a witch who then wants him to tell scary stories to her every day for essentially the end of time. And it, I won't get more into that for fear of spoiling it, but basically uh, this is like entry-level gateway horror that uh, both Chris and I watched the other day and just absolutely adored, you know? Yeah, it's This movie's so much fun. Yeah, like, like the kid himself is a big horror fan, and, you know, there's references to, like, Fangoria and stuff like that, and it's got a lot of great uh, just kind of, like, little nods to horror throughout, right? And there's some great scares. The costume design in this movie is incredible. Oh, my God. The, the main villainess is my new style icon. I want everything she wears in this movie. She is an icon. Uh... But anyway, so definitely recommend checking that one out. I, I think it's one that's perfect to watch with the whole family if you've got kids. Uh, there's some moment. It does get a little bit scary maybe for kids at times, you know, especially yeah. the third act. Uh, but I think it's got a lot of really clever stuff in it. It's it's a dark kind of fairy tale vibe, right? Yeah. With, with some good horror elements. So anyway, so those are your releases for the week. I I think you'll have a good time with any one of them. Uh, but Night Books would be my pick for <laughs> what you should definitely check out. One other thing we like to do is every week on our Twitter, at Killer Critics, you put up a poll just kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film. So with Come Play, between Love It, It's Fine, Don't Like It, Never Seen It, where do you think the audience falls here? I'm in between either Haven't Seen It or It's Fine, and I'm going to go with It's Fine. Final answer. Well, you're wrong. Uh, so <laughs> Damn it, I've been doing so good. Uh, so love it is five point three percent. It's fine was thirty one point six percent. Don't like it is five point three percent, and never seen it was a whopping fifty seven point nine percent. So something I've learned this month, uh, and, and I'm sure it'll be the case for next week's film as well, is. Newer imaginary friend horror films. Y'all just haven't seen them. Why not? <laughs> uh, like, I feel like every movie we've talked about this month, whether it's Daniel Isn't Real, which is incredible. Yeah. Uh, or Z or Now Come Play. Just, you know, like half the audience hasn't seen it. So, <laughs> Do people just but, not like imaginary friends? 
I guess not. I don't know. Um, you know, whatever the reason, uh, I'm not too surprised with this. You know, it is a newer film from a year ago. So, you know, I don't expect everyone to have seen it by now. And it's finds also kind of where I fall with this, you know, like yeah. there's things that I like about it. There's things I don't like about it. But yeah, no, it's it's a good movie, though. I do think <laughs> for the for the 57% of you who haven't seen it, uh, it's worth a watch. So. Definitely. <laughs> um, but so usually we have uh, user comments on this one, but again, since so few have seen it, we don't really <laughs> didn't really have any for this. So as usual, we want to talk about the tagline versus the film before we get into spoilers here. Just kind of talk about the tagline what we think of the movie overall. So the tagline for Come Play was, "He's good at taking friends." <laughs> I feel like that ties into your pedophilic feeling earlier. Yeah, sure. He's good at taking friends. I like it. I think it's a good, creepy, like, tagline. Um, Personally, for me with this film, I'm in the it's fine category. Like, I think that Complay has some great jump scares in it, and I think that Larry is creepy and an interesting villain. Um, But personally, I found, like, some of the messaging that's in the film to be a little bit mixed, which I didn't really enjoy. Mm. But I will say one of the pluses of this film is, like, I don't feel like we get a whole lot of horror films that have an autistic main character. Well, we just don't get movies, period, that have a good autistic character in them. Yes. And, and when I say good, I mean, like, well-represented, you know, because usually usually the character's kind of like a joke, like mm-hmm. they are in the recent Predator movie, right? Yep. <laughs> or, they ha- or, they're, or they're, you know, the way autism's usually portrayed in film is the character's like, really amazing at one thing so it kind of kind of makes them into like sort of a magical person trope right yeah (laughs) where they're just like geniuses and stuff and it just yeah just never really plays it it doesn't feel right right um and that was the nice thing with this film is that it feel it felt like everybody really came and like tried to do their best um our actor uh as robertson you know he went because he's not autistic himself but he went to some of the schools to really spend time around people with autism so that he could bring a good like authenticity to the role and yeah oliver is such a great character so like i love oliver and i think that people should go and watch this film for oliver and then there's some middle stuff with everything else okay um (laughs) (laughs) yes i do agree that oliver is a good reason to watch the movie uh and i'll get more into that in a minute when we get into spoilers here but uh yeah no overall um I mean yeah tagline creepy you gotta but overall I I do like the film I think that I think that Jacob Chase is really great at creating this sort of uncomfortable atmosphere you know like like we've been talking about this whole month every imaginary friend horror film has some really just like uncomfortable thematics underneath it right yep and and it come plays no different and so there's there's a really great atmosphere to it. There are some really fantastic scares, you know. I mean, this is a film where I remember my first time watching it and being really surprised because, you know, I kind of went into it, no offense to to Z, which is a film that I like that we talked about earlier this month. Uh, but I went into it kind of expecting it to be kind of mid-tier, sort of Z-ish, right? Yeah. And, and I was actually surprised to come away with, you know, okay, there are some things that don't quite work about it for me. But it's also very effective in a lot of other senses um, where there are, like, some really great scares in this. There is a lot of really fun creativity with Larry yeah. and kind of how Chase employs him as a as a monster, right? 
and, and I will get into the messaging stuff with the there. I think there's a mixed bag. I think there's some really great messaging, and I think there's some that's questionable, yeah. uh, to say the least. But uh, but no, overall, I think Come Play is a very worthwhile film. You know, if you haven't seen it, I do think it's worth watching at least once. And with that being said, we are going to move into spoilers now. So again, if you haven't seen Come Play, go check it out. Uh, I do not recall if it's streaming. I'm not sure that it is. Maybe on Prime. <laughs> uh, but but I do think that it's worth the rental if you're curious. It does have some good scares. Yeah. I think it'll creep you out here and there. But that being said, so as usual, who do you want to talk about with Come Play as we get into spoilers here? Um, so I know we're going to get very much into Oliver and his mom, Sarah, played by Gillian Jacobs. But the person I want to talk about, and this might be a weird one, is Byron, who's played by Winslow uh, Fegley. And Byron is, for me, a very interesting character and I think kind of an important character for this story. Byron is this little shit of a kid. Mm. Like, when we first meet him, he's a complete asshole to our main character, Oliver, and really kind of displays what we see much more often in schools, which is kids picking on other kids with disabilities, which is unfortunately a thing that happens quite often in schools. But what I really like about Byron is that in this film, we kind of explore that there is more depth to him. His anger and frustration and lashing out at Oliver comes to do with the fact that he perceives that Oliver doesn't want to be his friend anymore. He assumed the two of them used to be best friends. They used to play together all the time. And then we, we find out in a scene that Oliver hit Byron and the moms had a bit of a squabble. And Oliver's mom decided to just tell Byron's mom that Oliver just doesn't want to be friends anymore. Right. And at that age, you know, that can be really traumatic. And so we're seeing Byron lash out and then we get to see their friendship recover. And I think that it is really cool to kind of see, you know, the the mixed feelings that kids have. Um, and really kind of cool to see uh, a kid who has been such good friends with a character who's autistic and really doesn't treat him any differently once their their friendship is renewed. I uh, personally like it hits home for me just because like for me growing up, yes, I I saw kids with special needs who got picked on really badly, but also one of my best friends growing up was a girl who had special needs and I remember how much that friendship meant to me mm. and how much it hurt when she left like because I was a kid and I didn't get it and so it was really kind of cool getting to see like the Byron character because you know we don't see that side of friendship necessarily and maybe that's just me being like really selfish and projecting on this character but yeah no I mean look th this is one of the great things about the film I think is that you know it it's kind of it's kind of a twist on what you typically see with bullies in horror films, right? Or, or just in any film in general where, you know, usually the bully character is like the main asshole human villain of the film. Yeah. And it, there's usually not like some kind of nice moment between them and the hero. So it is kind of interesting to see like how, or, or I shouldn't say interesting, it is positive to see how uh, Byron kind of comes around and we realize like, oh, Byron's been acting out because he thought Oliver didn't want to be his friend anymore. Mm. Now, that's not an excuse for Byron <laughs> to be as big of a fucking dick as he was. No. But, you know, it, it's it's a nice kind of change from what we typically see. And, you know, it's one of those things in this movie where, 
you know, I, I love horror films that have these kind of rare heartwarming moments, right? And I'm not saying every horror film needs to have one, but it's kind of nice when they come along because you get a little break from the horror <laughs> and, it, you know, you get kind of like more into the humanity of the movie, right? Yeah. And so I do love that moment where Byron sits down with him and they're just like watching SpongeBob and they're like friends again, right? right? And... You know, it's just very unexpected, and it's kind of like this nice awe kind of moment, right? And mm -hmm. so it, it's a very positive reflection on, you know, how how people can look past others' differences, and yeah. how and how you know, a lot of times that stuff really doesn't matter as long as you're willing to understand the person, you know, mm -hmm. which I think is a big part, a big thematic of come play, which we'll get into more as we go through this, uh, and kind of touching on a subject, you know, who I did want to talk about is Oliver. And simply for the fact that, like we were kind of saying before, you know, you just don't see autism portrayed very well in movies too often. Yeah. And, I mean, very rarely, you know, and I have some autistic friends who have told me that, you know, this movie uh, meant a lot to them in that regard because they are portrayed so badly <laughs> really throughout <laughs> cinema. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't think it was even until... Uh, probably the mid or, or probably until around 2010 or something like that, that we started to see movies begin to portray autism characters better. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, like we were just mentioning, you know, even as recently as the new Predator film, you see just this horrible portrayal <laughs> of autism where they're like making fun of the kid the whole time. Right. Yeah. And there's another movie I forget the name of. That's a really awful portrayal that just came out like last year or this year, I think. But but come play is this really positive portrayal that just shows you know it just shows Oliver's just a normal kid he's yeah. a normal kid who has uh, who has his own uh, difficulties you know and and I what I love about that is that like you know it's part of human nature like every human kind of has their thing but mm -hmm. it doesn't but it doesn't make you some kind of like different <laughs> person to be ood and odd and ogled or looked at like an animal in a zoo right like we're all just we're all just human. We're all just dealing with our shit. Yeah. And and I really love to come play portrays Oliver as just that normal kid, which is what he is. He's just a normal kid who's got his own, you know, things that he struggles with. So, so, so I just really like seeing that in the film, you know. Mm. And, and I love that they make Oliver the main character. He's not like a side character to the mom. He mm -hmm. is our main character, you know. Yeah, it's his uh, story. Right, it's his story. That's another thing that we hardly ever see portrayed with autistic kids in in film is it's never their story. They're always like the joke or the magical character or whatever. You know, mm -hmm. they're never like just our main regular hero, right? So, <laughs> uh, so I just really wanted to quickly mention that. But moving on from that, so what are your thoughts on Oliver's relationship with his parents? Like getting outside of the kids, you know, we we see Oliver in this really fractured home life with his mom Sarah played by Jillian Jacobs and uh his dad Marty played by John Gallagher Jr. What do you think about this whole dynamic? Oh boy. I have very mixed feelings about the the parent dynamic. Um I don't know if this was the intention of the film, but um the way that I kind of read this was the the real I guess for me, horror of this film wasn't so much Larry so much as the relationship between Oliver and his mom. Because there is no doubt that his mom, Sarah, loves Oliver. Loves him to pieces. Wants to protect him from the world. But I think that she very much, you know, embodies that parent who has a kid with needs who really 
is trying to have the patience and doing her best, but is is falling short. Mm. And that's a really harsh statement to say because like I can't I can't imagine having a kid. But the thing that I really like noticed with with Sarah is that, you know, like Oliver's therapist herself kind of says in a scene you know, he's trying really hard to learn how to speak. So it's very important for us to learn how to listen. And that's the message I feel like for me of this film, that it's important to listen to how other people communicate and what they need from us. And Sarah, for me, exemplifies someone who doesn't do that. Yeah, see, I think Sarah gets a bad rap in this movie. Now, now here's the thing. Sarah, I, I completely agree with everything you just said. Mm-hmm. But the 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 part of that I don't agree with is how you're leaving the dad out of it like he's not part of the problem. <laughs> and and to me, I think that that's unfair to Sarah because the way I look at this is that both parents are failing. Oh, yeah. You know, so like, so, you know, you got to kind of look at it like, um, you got to kind of look at it like why Sarah's struggling and why is she struggling it's because Marty's never there mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so when you really start to kind of pick this apart like you know it, it's right in the statement that she says where Marty just gets to come home and give gifts and have tummy tickle <laughs> you know time or whatever <laughs> and and like that's the only part of uh that's the only part of Marty that Oliver really knows you know Oliver doesn't know the the Marty who's strict and is trying to take him to everything and get him Mm -hmm. to do things you know and so when I look at this you know I I look at it as not necessarily just being Sarah's fault I look at it as a failing of the two of them together and and Oliver's reaction to that because you know when you look at their parental dynamic Sarah is this one who's taking him everywhere you know she's got to do everything for him and meanwhile you look at how Marty's kind of reacted to it, and to me, it's kind of emblematic of Marty's uh, relationship to his family. When you look at the fact that he works at this isolated little booth <laughs> in the middle of an empty parking lot, you know, and, and to me, that's—I don't know that Chase intends this or not—but to me, that's reflective of like Marty kind of isolating himself off from his family and wanting literally nothing to do with it. So. <laughs> You could say being in the dark about his pro- family's problems. Sure, if you want to be a dork about it. Yes, um. I do. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I think, you know, Sarah is in a difficult place where she is is having to pick up and do all this extra stuff. And again, I think it's a brilliance of the film in the fact that this family dynamic is not really any different from what we see in you know, other horror films. We have that family dynamic of a mom who's working really hard and trying and a fairly negligent dad who isn't really involved in anything until potentially the very end. It is very heartwarming to see at the end that Marty does step up, that Mm. he is trying to step up and do all of the right things for Oliver. But it is is hard to judge him because he's not there. The judgment is you fail as a father because you're not there. No, but that but I think that's why it's easy to judge yeah. him is because he's not there. You know, and he and he's letting Sarah just take on everything for herself. You know, to me to me they they're like different facets of society and the way that society treats kids with special needs, you know? Mm-hmm. Because on one hand you've got uh on one hand you've got Marty who is the part of society that like turns a blind eye, doesn't, you know, just almost kind of acts like um, Oliver's needs don't exist or like he doesn't exist, you know? Uh, Like he basically just turns a blind eye to the whole thing and he's not there. He's not there to help. He's not there to do anything. 
meanwhile, Sarah is this other part of society where she almost like perpetuates the stereotypes that go along with autism, where I almost feel like she is putting some of that on Oliver, yeah, you know, where she like she kind of uh engages in all these stereotypes of like. You know, you know, kind of like that thing of, you know, um, I don't know, I don't quite I don't know how to say this, but it's like when when someone has needs but they don't want to acknowledge them or they know that they can do something themselves, but you have someone who constantly acts like they can't because they're so like learned helplessness. Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess the way I look at Sarah is she kind of acts like Oliver can't do anything. You know, like she kind of acts like Oliver's like helpless and doesn't and needs her all the time. And that's not the case, you know, like just because you have some of these special needs doesn't mean that, you know, you can't that you're helpless. Right. Mm-hmm. So so I feel like she kind of perpetuates the stereotypes. Yeah. And so together, the two of them are just like this <laughs> awful kind of negative force for Oliver. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, and it just kind of it, it, it's where I think that everything is kind of coming from. And isn't it interesting that all of these imaginary friend movies all kind of revolve around broken homes and (laughs) you know and and kids that have like an unstable relationship with their parents and just need some kind of friend right yeah and that you know what i would agree with you except for the fact that oliver's fucking smart in this film he first sees larry and he sees those first two books and he's like fuck this i am turning this phone off i'm getting the fuck away from this dude yeah that's exactly what i'm saying is yeah. oliver doesn't need all no. of the attention that his parent that sarah acts like he does yeah that's what i'm trying to say <laughs> no i agree with you on that like he's oliver's super smart and i think to your point what i think is interesting is that like with sarah on the one hand you have a mom who's really trying to step up But I think that she has her own stuff that she's dealing with where she does not like appearing to be a bad mom. And I think that she does a lot of things to protect herself instead of protecting Oliver. She wants Oliver to learn to speak and look her in the eye, not for Oliver's sake, but for her own sake and her own validation. Well, of course. Well, she wants to be validated because she's, you know, she... I think she understands that she's not handling it well. Yeah. And, and you know, she has that line towards the end of the film where she kind of mentions how she wants to, well, maybe it's not the end of the film, but she mentions how she wants to pack, like, that part of Oliver as she puts it away and put it in a box and forget about it. And so she she's acknowledging from early on that, like, she does not handle Oliver's autism well, right? No. And, and so I think you're right. She does need the validation of just of just feeling like she's a good mom. I think mm-hmm. I think that she thinks she's doing the right thing most of the time, but isn't sure and so wants that validation. Yeah. But one other thing I want to throw in before we move on is that, you know, I, w- what I also really love about the way Oliver's portrayed is uh, with his introduction, I, I, I really find it interesting that one of the first things we see with Oliver is that he has one of those sticky hand toys, which, by the way... <laughs> I fucking hate those things. Like Why? I, they're awesome. No, they're disgusting. They're like, amazing. No, they're terrible. Like I never liked them as a kid. I don't like them now. And I especially don't like them when other kids are around me playing with them now <laughs> and, and wanting me to like touch it or something because those things are nasty. Like they get all full of dirt and grime and they're disgusting. And you know, who knows who the hell knows where kids are like slapping those things. Right. Someone got so, slapped with a sticky hand one too many times. 
No, I just thought they were disgusting. I just never liked them. Uh, they're gross. You use them for like one day and then they're just fucking disgusting. But anyway, aside from my hatred of those toys, I, I think it's interesting that Oliver, we first meet him playing with one of those. Because I don't know, I'm probably reading into this too much, but I, I, I just love that it's, you know, this little hand, right? And it's almost kind of like if you read into it too much, like I do with things, <laughs> uh, it almost kind of plays like you know, into this sort of idea of he's slapping this thing around and it's kind of like him reaching out but not actually ever being able to touch anything. Yeah. If that makes sense. You know, so kind of like the idea of like you reach out to someone but you never actually get to embrace them Mm because they won't embrace you or or like see you for who you are, right? So it's kind of like that idea. Like I just like this idea that Oliver has his hand where he's like slapping it around and like trying to like you know, feel the world around him, basically. But the hand's also kind of acting as this sort of symbol of, like, the fact that he can't really touch the world because the world doesn't really see him for who he is either, if that makes sense. That does. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can totally see that. Now, Oliver's way of interacting with the world, I think, is is very interesting. And he is our smart character in this. He's the one who figures out what Larry's deal is and kind of how to defeat him and all this kind of stuff, which is very cool. But kind of talking about Larry a little bit, like, Larry is this monster who is very insistent that you read his book. He is, like, almost on, like, Babadook level, like, you're gonna fucking read my book. Definitely Babadook-inspired, I would think. Right? So what do you think is the reason why Larry feels like the characters in this movie need to know his story? Well, look, I think when it comes to Larry, you know, I, I, I think there's two different ways to interpret Larry. One, I, I think is, one I think is maybe the more, ob- well, one I think is probably the one that first comes to mind, which is the idea that maybe Oliver kind of sees himself in Larry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going back to the parents, I, I almost, we keep having these scenes of, you know, Oliver, like, running to his room and covering his ears, and he, he doesn't want to hear his parents fighting, right? Which, by the way, yeah, no, totally traumatic <laughs> for kids to hear parents fighting like that. I went through it all the time with mine when they were getting a divorce. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so So I very much relate to Oliver in that sense, but... For kids, like I've kind of been talking about throughout the month, because every fucking movie we've talked <laughs> about deals with this kind of stuff this month. For kids, they don't, they don't always understand why the fighting's occurring. You know, like because because when you're a kid, you grow if, if you grow up with both parents, you know, you typically grow up thinking like they're just your parents. They're always gonna be together. They're that's just what marriage is, right? And mm-hmm. you don't you don't really understand the concepts of like divorce and and negativity between the parents and everything so so when that kind of starts to happen i think kids begin kind of you know beginning to question like what the reason is and they and they start to maybe interpret that it might have something to do with them right and in oliver's case i think oliver maybe a part of him kind of believes that he's to blame for his parents fighting you know i mean they're always fighting about him and so maybe so maybe he kind of sees it that way and so i almost wonder if you know on one side of it if larry is kind of uh this creature that's sort of derived from oliver's own kind of interpretation of himself you know like he sort of sees himself maybe as that monster in the eyes of people around him Mm -hmm. this monster who just wants a friend and you know who just wants like someone to understand him and i'll get to my other interpretation of larry in a second but 
to your question, so why does Larry want you to know his whole story? Well, I think it's because when you look at Larry's story, you know, it's all very reflective of what we think Oliver is feeling as a character, right? Yeah. You know, we see things like in the storybook, like he gets made fun of because he is different, talking about Larry, right? And, and Oliver, I'm sure, feels that way too. He feels like he gets made of, made fun of because he's different. So why I think you have to know Larry's story in order for him to, you know, become your quote-unquote friend and take you away is that Larry isn't so different from the rest of us in the sense that, you know, in order to actually look past whatever you view as different about somebody and and see them as something beyond whatever, you know, stereotype or interpretation you have of them is to get to know them and yeah. to know their story, right? So so I it's almost kind of playing in this idea I think of Oliver just, you know, you look at his relationship with Byron and it, it's kind of this thing of like, you know, why is Byron friends with why is Byron friends with him? Cuz he looks past you know Oliver's differences, yeah, and just sees him as another human, you know, which of he course. should, yeah. <laughs> and so, so it's just that kind of idea, I think, mm. where it's like you just—it's only when you get to know somebody and actually kind of understand where they come from, why they're coming from that place, their story, that you begin to kind of see them as not the monster or the stereotypical view you have of them, but as a real person. Yeah. You know, no, I definitely agree with that. My, my viewpoint on, on Larry and his story is that, you know, he very much represents, you know, people who get talked over a lot. And specifically with this film talking about, you know, the autistic community where, you know, there's a good chance that a lot of people in this community don't get to tell their own story. Nobody listens to what they have to say about them setting their own boundaries and what's good for them, as we see in Oliver. Like, you know, he's having to do things because that's what his mother wants of him, not necessarily what's best for Oliver, um, like in terms of, of the speech stuff. Because Oliver can communicate just fine. Yeah. He's got his phone. He can communicate. He can tell his own story. But there's this insistence that he goes and does the speech stuff, which, you know, Going and doing the speech therapy is definitely going to help him. But I think with Larry, it is very much showcasing that, you know, with this with this community, being able to tell Larry, be able to tell his own story and not get fucking interrupted, like not get <laughs> cut off, because that's what I, keeps happening is people keep shows, shutting the book on him. And they're just like, you know what? Fuck you. You're going to hear my entire story. You're going to read it. I'm going to take my friend. Fuck you guys. I'm going home. Yeah, I, that's one way to look at it. Um. <laughs> But going along with that, again, I just think that, you know, there are two sides to what Larry is, I think. Mm -hmm. But if we're looking at him as a representation of Oliver, uh, I do think that that's all definitely there. I do think that that's why there's that storybook element of having to know his story, you know. And, and it's also interesting to me, too, that, you know, when you really begin to dissect Larry, kind of speaking about people talking over him, right? You know, it started to make me wonder, like, well, why is Larry... Uh, invisible sometimes you know like why can't like why are there moments where Larry's showing up like the really great scare I think or or maybe not scare but like atmospheric moment where you know he's in the parking lot outside the dad's booth and like these flying newspapers are sticking to him but there's nothing there right yeah. and they disappear and you know I started thinking like well he that invisibility also kind of 
shows us like that tortured side of Oliver that no one can see, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like it's 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 talking about that, I think, where it's, you know, you have these you have Oliver as this kid who just people just don't see him. Yeah, they, they don't see him for who he is. They see him for how they want to see him. Right. Mm-hmm. Or or they see him for his for his autism and don't look past that at the person that he is. So so I think that's interesting. And I also think it's interesting too that, you know, Larry tends to pop up when Oliver's at his most vulnerable. You know, Larry pops up in moments where uh Oliver's hearing his parents fight, you know, or he kinda or he pops up in moments where Oliver's being bullied or, you know, it so he it, it just it, there there's definitely a strong connection there to them kind of being one and the same, right? Yeah. Of of Larry being that side that that mont that side of Oliver that is viewed like a monster, mm-hmm. you know, even though it shouldn't be. That's kind of I think a little bit of how Oliver maybe sees himself. Now, kind of getting deeper into Larry, you know, there is this whole technology aspect with the movie where Larry's coming through tech, and you know, there's even some discussion of technology and why he comes through tech. So, like, what? What is what are your thoughts on why Larry is using technology and the way that the movie kind of views it? Maybe <laughs> I so this is the area of the film that I have the hardest time with, um, because with Larry we're introduced to him and his origin is the fact that he is supposed to be a creature born of the loneliness of everybody staring at their screens and not engaging with people in real life. That's what we're told. I call bullshit on that for the sole reason that this film is about a kid who communicates through his phone, who has a a speech thing on his phone, and that's how he primarily, like, communicates stuff. So I always have a hard time when technology is completely treated as, like, the big bad, Um, and that that's what creates the loneliness and separation from people. So... But it is. So... (laughs) This is a big area where Matt and I disagree. Very um, much. You are you are such a huge like tech defender, even though you don't use social media. <laughs> I am. I am a tech defender. Like, look, and I'm not. I'm not stupid. I'm not blind. I'm well aware that tech and social media and everything like that has a very dark and negative side to it as well. Um, but solely looking at how I kind of interpret Larry in terms of the technology stuff is that sometimes for, you know, people like Oliver or people who feel like they can't find people in real life, you find your friends online. You find your community online. Um, and so that's really kind of how I view Larry a little bit more is that, you know, it is a community or a friendship that Oliver has found online to help support him and get through that that can come and help and take you away from a negative situation. Yeah, so <laughs> you're I, wrong, Chris. No, it's not that you're wrong. I, I mean, I think this is a complicated topic that mm-hmm. you know has a lot of defenders on both sides. I, to to me, I, look. To in fairness to you, I do think that the film gets a little bit mixed on the messaging here, but but purely because of the fact that Oliver does use his tech to 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 give voice to his thoughts, right? Yeah. Now, at the same time, I mean, that's not saying that he needs the tech. You know, he could have a little notepad where he gets to, you know, write down and everything. Mm-hmm. But but the tech is helpful, right? Yeah. It is helpful. So, so much faster than writing. 
A lot faster than writing. A lot, lot easier for an entire room to hear what he has to say instead of him just holding up a notepad. And exactly. <laughs> so, so no, it, the tech, the tech is helpful there, but I think, I think what the film's trying to get at is just the ultimate point of how there is a coldness to technology and the way that we communicate through it. And what I mean by that is like again, you know, looking at Oliver and his hand. Where it's like he's touching things, but he's not really touching things, mm-hmm. you know that, and that's the way that I view technology, you know. So like you talk about, well, you meet your people and your friends through through the internet and everything, and that's true. You meet a lot of great people through it. I've met a lot, you know, quote unquote, met a lot of you through tech, and I think that that's great and it's awesome to be able to communicate with uh, people that you've never met in person through, you know, uh, through social media and stuff like that. Um, cause you do find people with similar interests that you might not have in your, in your everyday life. Right. Yeah. But there's a detachment factor from it too, where it's like a lot of times don't really know who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no like warm embrace of a person with you face to face. You know, I can't hug anyone that I'm talking to <laughs> online. <laughs> I can't, I can't sit down and engage in a conversation with them for a few hours. You know, like it's there's there's a coldness factor to it and then you also look at the way that tech is uh has kind of like made a presence into our everyday life you know i remember a time where you went and hung out with people and you hung out with them and you talked to them and you know and, and you did things like that and now i mean it it started as a stereotype but it really is kind of like a true to life thing of now i mean everywhere you go you look around and you just see like couples at tables on their phones you know or uh-huh. or even when you and i watch movies sometimes <laughs> or just sitting at home or like on our tech right and so yeah. so it's just kind of talking about the fact that their tech has sort of created this atmosphere of loneliness where it's like you and i think and i think it maybe touches on and this is me speaking in generality where it's like i i can't say this for sure because i'm not autistic obviously but it's like uh, you know, I almost wonder if part of the thematic there is that uh, not just speaking on autism in itself, but just in general of, you know, anyone who is looked at as different or has special needs is that, you know, I almost wonder if part of the message here with tech is how is how maybe some people feel where it's like, you know, yeah, you have interactions, but maybe they don't feel all the time genuine or warm or you know something like that like maybe you still feel disconnected yeah even if you're having those interactions and i i just i think that's the ultimate point with the tech right yeah is it's not to say that it's not to say that tech is like bad you know <laughs> but it's to say that there is a coldness to it where that's the only way that you can communicate you know yeah i can i can definitely see that because you know for for as much as it is nice to be able to find a community of people online you know it is much better to be able to have that in person right right. Um, let me put it this way like you know for all the people that i talk to online right mm -hmm. i'd so much rather be able to talk to them in my living room and hang out yeah or or go or go get a beer together or something like that right yeah there's a coldness i think to uh, to the way that we interact now where it is so much of that and so little of actually like spending person to person time together, which is also why I think the, the looking someone in the eyes thing is such a big theme between the mom and Oliver Mm -hmm. is that, you know, just like Larry says early on uh, where, where people are always 
you know, looking down at their tech. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that's kind of the world we live in now. Yeah. You know, where it's like there, there, there's just that detachment from like actual human connection. Yeah. Where it's a different kind of human connection. And I just think that it's all still really too early to kind of know like how that really truly affects us down the line. Yeah. So. I, I definitely don't disagree with you because it basically was born in our generation. Right. Like you and I only have, you know, 10, 15 years of any kind of experience with it. And we don't even yeah. know like what the next generation is going to be like where that's all they know. So. Yeah. I mean, it definitely affects things. I, I will say when it comes to the eye thing and the looking in the eye, it's the part of the movie that I hate the most. <laughs> Um, for you the, would. I would. For, well, for the sole reason as... Emotions? Get out of here. <laughs> I'm not good with emotions. No, it's more so something for me of I feel like Oliver shows his affection and his interest and his connection with people in a lot of different ways. And he just doesn't do, you know, the meeting eyes, like the, the eye connection stuff. Well, but that's not true because he does meet the eyes with everybody but his mom. <laughs> that's her point. Well, maybe she should stop sucking so much. <laughs> I mean, but that but that's her point. That's why she wants him to look her in her in a that's why she wants him to look her in the eyes cuz he does it with everybody else. <laughs> does he? Well, at least with her dad or the dad. <laughs> but, you know, for for me with the tech stuff, I think yes, to your point, we have no way of really knowing how this is going to affect stuff. And I think with Oliver, I think you brought up a good point with the sticky hand. And technology, Oliver is having to parse out everything. Are people interacting with him gen- genuinely, or are they interacting with him because of his autism? Like, and well, what- I, I don't mean it like that. Actually, mm-hmm. I, what I more mean it as is just, you know, how do I say this? It's like, like when you go to work, right? Yeah. Well, it's different for you, but like, let, let's <laughs> let's let's say you have a job where you go to it and you work with people, but you're not really friends with any of them, right? Uh huh. So you go there and you have interactions, you have some kind of communication, but it doesn't mean that you feel like you belong. You know, yeah. it, do- it doesn't mean that you feel like you're getting genuine, like hum- like human contact and communication and warmth. You know, like there. Like there can be a coldness to to going to work, and everyone's just like, "Oh, hey, you know, case of the Mondays," you know, like it's <laughs> like like if that's your interaction every day, where you just go to work and people just say like the same old standard bullshit to you, and they yeah. don't, and that's it, you know. It like just because you're talking to someone doesn't mean you're actually sharing, you know, like some kind of connection, you know. Yeah. So what I was more getting at isn't that. Isn't that Oliver doesn't feel like, or isn't that Oliver maybe questions why people are communicating with him? I was more so speaking to the fact that, you know, if you feel that you are so different, if people make you to feel that you are so different, then then it is more difficult to feel connected to the world around you. Mm -hmm. Because it's almost like you've been conditioned to kind of feel like, you don't belong there, yeah. you know, or, or like there is sort of like a fakeness to the world around you, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's more what I'm talking about is I, I'm more trying to say that it, it strikes me as Oliver not feeling connected to the world around him because no one's really interacting with him for who he is. Yeah. And instead, you know, just kind of, you know, they're, they're treating him like he's different. If yeah. that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. And I think, you know, to, to your point that you brought up earlier, kind of with this idea almost of like learned helplessness, it is kind of brought on by his mom and the fact that his mom 
almost tries to overprotect him from situations where like like with the ending of his and Byron's friendship, you know, Byron really didn't care. Like they got into a fight. That's what boys do. But the mom decided to put that barrier up in in an attempt to like oh. protect him from. Oh, it. I don't. I don't think that was about protecting Oliver. I thought it was about protecting her. Oh, definitely, it was about protecting her under the guise of protecting Oliver. Yeah, no, oh. but it, but it, that's about yeah. her because because <laughs> see the thing the thing with the mom is that she's the one who feels different. Yeah, she she is the one who feels you know ultimately disconnected i think mm-hmm. and and it projects that onto oliver yeah you know like she is the one who like 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 you have all those scenes where she is constantly you know kind of like the way she talks to the other mom right of like oh he i promise he won't do that again and you know like she she feels like because of oliver that she is also different yeah. so to speak right and and she projects that onto him, and it makes him feel that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas obviously that's not the right way to go about <laughs> <No>. it. So. <laughs> well, so kind of talking about that, what are your thoughts on the fact that the mom is taken by Larry at the end? So, you know, so so this is the other side of Larry that I think to me is more interesting because I think that when you look a lot when you look at a lot of these imaginary friend horror movies which as i've realized there are not as many as i thought there were <laughs> like, it's kind of disappointing it's kind of disappointing i was very surprised to to find you know that that of films that i had access to that most imaginary friend horror movies were like recent right <laughs> <laughs> um i was kind of surprised to find that there weren't there weren't many that are all about imaginary friends but anyway most of them if not all of them you can find concepts of you know yeah the imaginary friend is ostensibly another piece or part of our our kid or the main character that's seen the imaginary friend right yeah uh, what i think is more interesting actually in this case is what if it's not oliver who larry's an extension of but his mom you know so how i kind of see it that way is that going back to what i was just saying i do think that ultimately it's the mom that is the one that really sees themselves as different yeah i think i think oliver you know oliver might be lonely because people don't always see him as who he is and they see him as you know his disability or whatever Mm -hmm. but i think that I, i i never really truly get the sense though that oliver you know feels like he himself is different no you know, I, I i feel like he i feel like he feels like a normal kid like he is you know yeah. and 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 he just kind of takes in like what everyone else is putting on him but it's the mom who like sarah who really expresses this kind of feeling of loneliness and and needing someone right yeah you know because that's the difference with oliver is oliver never really expresses that he needs someone no you know he just he just kind of does his own thing and and that's not to say that he doesn't like miss friends or anything like that but but he never he never gives me the sense of like he will die if he doesn't have a friend you know sarah on the other hand sarah is the one who throughout this entire movie is talking about how she needs she needs more of a connection to oliver she's losing her connection with marty she's you know feeling different or or like an outcast among parents you know and Mm -hmm. and why like there's such a 
there's such a desperate feeling that she projects when the other mom shows up and she's like trying to explain why it's okay that you know oliver's gonna hang out with their kids right like you get the sense that the mom just really wants her friendship back with this other mom that she had yeah and so why i think that larry could actually be sarah in this case is i think that that's probably in a sense how oliver maybe is subconsciously viewing sarah as this kind of like you know almost this kind of like monster that (laughs) uh that is that is like gripping onto him like like he's all that she has right yeah and but is doing it in such a way that's like obsessive and needy and you know all, all of these things that end up kind of you know appearing sort of like monstrous in a sense you know like she's like this creeping monster creeping around the house that's like (laughs) oliver i need you to look me in the eyes yeah (laughs) well i mean i think i think you're definitely onto it there because look that's the thing that kind of sat wrong with me about this film like from get-go is the fact that normally with like a lot of you know invisible friends stuff that we've seen the kid readily accepts that he has a friend he's excited about that and oliver reads two pages of larry's story went fuck no, I don't want to have anything to do with this. This isn't me. This isn't my life experience. Like, and I think that it does, Larry being Sarah's monster makes so much more sense. Yeah. Um, because it, it reflects how she feels about about Oliver because she says some shitty things about Oliver in this movie. Like, they're wanting to put his his stuff in a box, asking if he can just be normal for a second when the kid's fucking freaking out because a monster's after them. Well, well look, it's why it's why I think that, like, th- this movie is Oliver's story. Yeah. But I think that you could also look at it in a sense of Sarah's story because, mm. uh, or, or, you know, there are certain things you can see from her point of view where I think that Larry himself is a combination of how Sarah feels about herself and how Sarah feels about Oliver. Yeah. You know, I think that Larry is like, he's like this projection of hers of, you know, she treats Oliver like some kind of like different monster. Right. Mm -hmm. But then she also has all of the uh, emotional deficiencies of Larry (laughs) where it's like, you know, she, she, she encompasses all of that loneliness. She encompasses that, obsession with oliver and Mm. with needing him to like accept her and be her friend forever right yeah you know and it makes sense because you look at sarah and of the family she is the one who feels disconnected from the family it's not oliver no oliver has the relationship with his dad so like even though we were talking about how you know marty's maybe not like the best dad Mm. (laughs) um oliver still has a in, in Oliver's eyes, a good connection with Marty. Yeah. Marty feels like he has, you know, at the time, he feels like he has a good connection with Oliver. Mm-hmm. He admits later that he could have been a better dad, but you, but there, there's not, there's not a tension between the two of them. So it just makes sense to me that Sarah herself is kind of the monster roaming the house that everyone's kind of cautious <laughs> about. Right. Yeah. Or, or scared of, in a sense. <laughs> I, I think that's very much the case. Like touching on Marty again real quick. Like, look, the reason I didn't want to get too down on Marty when we were talking about the parental stuff is, yes, he's a negligent dad. He's not there and helping out with the stuff. But Marty sees Oliver. 
He sees Oliver. He loves him. He accepts him. He doesn't ask Oliver to be anything other than himself. True. Which is something that Sarah is incapable of doing, unfortunately. Um, that's why I think at the end with with the Marty we see at the end is the combination of the best bits of Sarah. Best bits of Sarah of showing up for her kid, making sure that everything gets taken care of and really looking out for him. And the best bits of Marty, which is accepting Oliver for who he is without asking for more. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that that bit at the end with Sarah getting taken, you know, we talk about this is Oliver's story. And I think to your point, this is Oliver's story having to deal with the very gray emotional trauma of having a parent that cares about you but is inadvertently hurting you by the pressure that they're putting on and i think we really it really gets hit home with that scene that i have great issue with but it has more emotional resilience which is the only time that oliver makes eye contact with sarah is as she's about to get taken by uh larry and she turns, and that's the most horrifying scene. He is not going to make eye contact with anybody ever again in oh, case no. they melt into a monster. Oh, no, he, he's done. He's going he's gonna to burn his own eyes out so he never has to look in someone's yeah. face again. He's gonna, but I think it's a very good visual of how sometimes trying to live up to the pressures and expectations of people who love us, who are willing to sacrifice for us the way that Sarah is, can really be more detrimental and traumatic than that they're aware of. Like, I don't think Sarah realizes that she's turning into a, like, creepy monster. It's a really good moment for her. Like, it's what she's wanted well, this entire movie. I, I but then she turns into a horrifying monster. I don't, I don't think Sarah has wanted to turn into a monster the entire movie. No, she's wanted the <laughs> eye contact with Oliver. No, I know. I, look, but, 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 that plays in, <laughs> but that plays in the why I think that Sarah is, that, that why I think Larry is actually an extension of Sarah. Because in the end, Sarah is the one who, you know... Sarah is the one who becomes a monster. Yeah. Right. Sarah's because that's kind of what happens there. Larry's basically turning you into a a, a mini me of him, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so I so that's why I think that you know she ultimately is actually Larry. Yeah. In a lot of ways. So all right, we gotta start wrapping up. So, who is your killer idiot of complay? Like I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Byron because like Byron should not have been. He should have kept reading the book. I love the moment at the slumber party where they start reading the book and shit starts happening. And he's like, fuck it. I'm going to keep reading the book. Maybe that'll end this. And everybody's just like, no, that is a terrible idea. And you are an idiot. So. Yeah, yeah no, it's definitely Byron. Although mine was for a different reason of just like, don't treat Oliver like shit. Just yeah. because <laughs> just because you had that little falling out. Like, doesn't mean you become a fucking dickhead bully, you piece of crap. <laughs> uh, if someone doesn't want to be your friend, I get that it hurts, but you have to be respectful. Well, I mean, Byron takes it to like an obsessive level of like just being a, as big of a dick as he can. And yep. so that's why I don't like Byron and, and for most of the movie. Uh, what about your killer death of come play? I mean, does, nobody really dies in this film, right? Well, the mom does. <laughs> I mean, okay, so I'm not going to go with the killer death, but I'm going to go with the scene when the dad is trying to outrun Larry because there's a moment where the dad's in the car and he's looking all around for Larry and then he turns and Larry's sitting in the seat next to him and then Larry's face turns to him and it freaks me out every fucking time because I hate Larry's face. Yeah, well, I, I you stole my moment because I... Yes, I <laughs> cause, well, not, not that moment. I mean, you stole, oh. you stole my moment because I was going to mention... 
the mom, but because it has absolutely scarred Oliver for life at this point, <laughs> I would like to think, you know, I was actually joking with Chris, uh, we were watching the movie the other day, where there's that end scene where Oliver's, like, dancing with her in the living room, uh-huh. and we don't see her face or anything, it's all seen through the point of view of Marty, and I started laughing because I'm just like, you know, cut to... <laughs> Sarah's face in the moment and it's like all horribly disfigured and everything and just like yep. the most horrific thing ever but it's supposed to be like this beautiful moment right <laughs> um but all right what about your killer mvp of come play uh look i'm gonna give it to um Ezzy robertson because i think that he did a really good job with his portrayal of oliver um and i read little snippets of 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 interviews with him and he really you know took this role seriously and tried to prepare for it and i think that's just really cool so especially for a child actor so you know props to him yeah no i think it's a good pick i mean that's definitely a lot for a child actor to take on and he i think he did a good job you know Mm -hmm. i wanted to pick the the sound team because you know sound design is something that i think gets overlooked in horror way too often and i'm I'm sure i've said this like a gajillion times on this (laughs) podcast but uh, but I want to pick the sound team because, you know, to me, a big part of the effectiveness of Come Play is the sound design. You know, like Larry himself is just every time he's on screen or, or you know, in the scene in some sort of way mm-hmm. is just totally unnerving. You know, yeah. like his like he, he's kind of like this decrepit old man monster, which, you know, there's totally got to be. This is something I didn't mention about the tech is about the the danger and manipulation of technology. Because I, I do think that... I, I don't think it's a major theme of the film, but I do think there's a small part of the movie that plays into the concept of the danger of tech for children. <laughs> because yeah. there's all sorts of fucking creepy pedophilic monsters out there that are manipulating kids online. Yep. Don't want to get catfished by a pedophile. <laughs> you don't want to get catfished by a Larry. And so... <laughs> you know, so... So I, I love that Larry is kind of like this you know, big bony arthritic, like <laughs> snap, crackle and popping bone person thing. Right. You know, cause he strikes me as like, he, you know, he kind of comes off as like an old perverted pedophile, you know, yep, and a <laughs> the old pervy monster. And so anyway, I just love the sound design of like his bones popping. And when he's talking, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. it's just really cool how they do it. And so, uh, yeah, I just think the sound design in the film is incredible, and it, it had a big effect on, you know, just the tension in the atmosphere of the movie itself. So uh, so shout out to the sound team with that. But anyway, that's going to do it for us on Come Play, so hopefully that was enjoyable in some degree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, next week, we are going to be talking about the Robert De Niro film Hide and Seek, which I actually haven't seen since it came out, so I'm kind of excited to revisit that. I've never seen it, so I'm excited. Yeah, uh, and it's not going to change the theme of this month. It's still going to be depressing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so be so prepared. I, so I, I promise next month will hopefully be a, a month of more fun films <laughs> than, <laughs> than what we've been talking about this month. Uh, but yeah, so that's going to do it for us on Come Play. So uh, hopefully you enjoy that. Anyway, I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a good night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at KillerFromSpace, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled. 
just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans.